Hello, friend. You've got mail. Hello, friend. Welcome to another episode of our review of Mr. Robot. This time, Henry and I are here to talk about season four, episode 10 of the final season of Mr. Robot called Gone. My name is Margaret. How are you, Henry? How's it going? I'm doing great, Margaret. Uh, I'm surviving the first big uh I guess lengthy rainstorm of the Bay Area in the in the winter, uh, and so far nothing's melted or flooded, so it's always good. A friend of mine had his basement flooded in the West Portal, and the news crews have been to his house a bunch of times. So it's always intense when it rains in the Bay Area. I've noticed. Yeah, it, it hasn't doesn't a lot of the infrastructure hasn't you know withstood the test of time the same way let's say Boston or parts of Manhattan have, where it's like okay, well. The same stuff that handled the rainstorm, you know, 50, 60 years ago is still around and it still works pretty well. It's not like that here. Yeah, yeah. But we're not here to talk about the weather. We're here to talk about this episode called Gone. What did you think of episode 10 of season four, Henry? It reminded me of this fantasy writer I read from time to time. His name is Joe Abercrombie whose novels are structured in this kind of interesting way where the ending of the novel and the resolution of the story of the adventure happens often with like 70 pages, 100 pages left in the book, right? Because like most books, the epilogue is very short. Everything kind of builds up to the end. But his books have, you know, pretty lengthy epilogue sections. And so you get to kind of see a lot of what unfolds after the supposed climatic event. And it reminded me of this episode in that way, where the kind of climatic event happened, the Deus group got hacked, and now we have you know a couple episodes before the end of the show to really explore the aftermath of that. Wow, that's a pretty cool comparison. I've heard of that author, but I haven't read anything by them. But I can definitely see where you're going with how the trajectory of this episode unfolded. I thought it was pretty cool to see what the aftermath is of the greatest doxing hack taking place, bringing down, at least for now, the Deus group. It was pretty fun to see some characters reappear. I know we'll talk about that soon. When we start out this episode, So the first thing we see is Dom is at the hospital. What I really liked about this scene is, first of all, she's alive, yay! And secondly, we contrast Dom arguing with the doctor and nurses about wanting to leave versus the news reports about how F Society doxes Deus Group and it's the largest and most damning doxing case in history. China's Minister of State Security, a.k.a. White Rose, is exposed as this infamous hacker. And Dom at the same time is saying, oh, when White Rose showed me her dress, she was trying to tell me who she was all along. So there's this moment of recognition. Did you like this scene and did you find it surprising or did it play out how you expected? I wouldn't necessarily say any of this episode played out like I expected. Um, But that said, I think I liked how the episode sort of set the stage for the next 
uh, I guess, final conflict or climax to come, right? Like to me, I've always said that Darlene is going to somehow be put in danger that requires her to be alone. We, you know, throughout this story, I'm kind of thinking, okay, how are Darlene and Dom going to get separated? What is that going to look like? Because to me, that is something that has to happen for Darlene to kind of be placed in a, a situation where she's in jeopardy to kind of drive the final conflict or resolution. And also the thing about the device, White Rose's machine that Philip Price taxed Elliot to destroy, you know, that's still somehow lurking somewhere in the background. So to me, this episode was really about setting the stage. I think there have been a few episodes this season in particular where you get the sense that the, they're kind of taking the foot off the gas a bit and setting the stage for the next episodes. And I think this is one of them. And even though they are doing just that and setting the pieces on the board, it's still interesting storytelling, in my opinion. And it's also not going down the expected road that we're necessarily thinking. So in this scene at the hospital, Dom is doing the typical arguing, I want to leave. And the nurse is like, I can't believe you want to do this. That's ridiculous. Dom wants to see her family because we've learned how much of a motivator her family is, even though she loves them. She's still kind of isolated from them. And now she's really isolated because they don't even trust her enough to see her family if they're in a safe house. I don't know about you, but I really thought this was going to play out a whole different way where the nurse was part of the dark army. I felt like Dom was going to be in danger in the hospital. And that is part of her motivation for leaving. But it was so sad when she was in the wheelchair outside of the hospital and there was no one to pick her up. That was a really tragic moment. In the next scene, Dom is back at her apartment. She looks around, takes a bunch of pills, makes herself one of the most beautiful grilled cheese sandwiches I've ever seen. And this is where, to your point, Darlene enters the room and knocks on the door and Darlene's trying to pull Dom together and say we need to go did you expect Darlene to appear in that way and to play that kind of role what what do you think's going on here yeah I mean I expected them to as, as soon as the episode sort of opened with Dom I started thinking well okay when's Darlene gonna pop up and what's it gonna look like um I I, I like the scene of Dom at her apartment and that moment where Darlene kind of destroys Alexa and, and says this, you know, hey, it's, it's not your friend, it's a robot. Like, wake up, snap out of it. Because what was really striking about the scene was when the music was going, you know, Faith Hill, this kiss, and, uh, you know, there's a flurry of activity, and then it stops, you realize, like, how empty and depressing that apartment is, right? Like, that this little robot that responds to your voice and plays happy songs at your command can turn a somewhat depressing reality into like this illusion of vitality. But as soon as that thing is gone, it just kind of all comes crumbling down. I noticed that especially because at one point when I was rewatching the episode for this podcast, I sort of paused the video during the scene. And it was at some point where the bathtub, the bathroom was sort of in view. And it was an old fashioned clawfoot bathtub in Dom's apartment. And I noticed how grimy and dirty it was. And I noticed to your point how dingy everything was. I really appreciate how it's always Darlene who seems to take on this role where she's trying to shake people out of their denial. You know, Darlene's like, what the F is going on here? You need to come with Elliot and me. Where are your socks? And then Darlene does the ultimate of smashing Alexa. And it always surprises me. And I know we've talked about this before that 
Dom is so into her Alexa, considering she is an FBI agent, considering they've shown that they're not secure, they've shown that humans listen in on the talk, which probably worries me less than how the AI applies machine learning to (laughs) your words over time for a whole variety of reasons. The role that Alexa plays in Dom's life is is concerning. Well, I think for adults, it's one thing, but when you think about kids and the fact that Alexa can tell a story to kids and there's you know special programs or skills that you can enable in your Alexa that makes it more entertaining or interesting for your children, that's a little bit alarming. And then you see some of these things that are sold to like make the Alexa look cuter and more kid-friendly. And you realize that there's you know, early engineering going on to design these devices that people can get very attached to. Like we're already attached to your smartphone and it's kind of objectively a pretty boring, ugly thing, right? It's like, it's it's square, it's reflective, it's flat. I mean, I guess in one sense it's elegant and beautiful depending on whether you have an iPhone or an Android phone, but it's not that visually interesting or emotive the same way that a puppy dog's face is or a baby's face is. And I think that's gonna be next. That reminds me a bit of the episode of Black Mirror that features Miley Cyrus called Rachel, Jack, and Ashley 2, where Miley Cyrus plays a singer who had a sort of a robot Alexa-style cutesy-looking doll that was modeled after her, and eventually Rachel 2 took over the human character that Miley Cyrus was playing. The fact that we found in lots of studies before that humans automatically relate to robots robots and in video games, NPCs, non-player characters, humans will relate to them as if they're real living beings, even though they intellectually know they aren't. I worked on a product called Virtual Pets early in my career, and I can't tell you the number of letters we got from kids and adults who who really believe their on-screen computer pets were responsive and had personalities that were unique, but it was really just all scripted AI behavior that were very Disney-fied and and just believable. That's just how our brains work. Darlene says to Dom, you know, this is emptiness. And it was so sad. I feel sorry for both Dom and Darlene. I think they're both tragic characters. Yeah, I think that very much comes through in this episode where you take away the immediate jeopardy to life and limb and you take away the urgency of a plot. And then you just have these kind of two sad, broken, neurotic people, um, you know, just kind of circling around each other. Exactly. I mean, really circling around each other, as we see later on. We cut momentarily to Elliot. He's on his keyboard. He's looking into the connection between White Rose's plan at the Congo and the relationship to the Washington Heights event, which we know affected both Elliot's father and Angela's mother. And at the same time, Elliot is in some hotel room and he's holding on to the thumb drive that Philip Price gave him, and he's supposedly waiting for Darlene to get there so that they can take off, but we learn later on Elliot's going nowhere. This was a short scene, but it felt really surreal to me that there would be any connection between Washington Heights and the Congo, and this made me feel like this is all a dream in some ways, this this particular scene for some reason. Yeah, it did very much have this kind of dreamlike quality to it. Yeah, So anyway, in the meantime, Dom and Darlene show up at this random meeting location where Elliot is waiting, and it was 
pretty obvious that Darlene convinced Dom to abandon her plans to just hole herself up in the apartment, move a dresser up against the door as if that's going to stop the, the dark army. I thought Darlene looked really fabulous in her in her sort of Lolita style heart-shaped sunglasses and and everything. It was a pretty slow next couple of beats that happened, but basically Elliot tells Darlene he's not going to wherever they're heading. Uh, he's going to go back to the Washington Township, so back to the future in some ways, go back to where it all started. Darlene Smith says to Elliot, do you want the honors? And Elliot says, you should do it. You're really the one who's instrumental in all of this. And Darlene just kind of waits, and she tries to convince Elliot to come along, but in the distance you can see Dom watching Elliot and Darlene hug or talking to each other. And then, of course, when Dom enters the hotel room to wait for Darlene, it's Leon! (laughs) My favorite, probably my favorite character in the series or one of them. I was so glad to see Leon again. So I was excited to see him too, but it made me wonder, you know, the theory that Leon is another persona of Elliot. You know, initially when I watched the episode, it seemed like it, what happened in this episode kind of put that theory to rest. But then when I was re-watching it, it made me think, well, actually, you could view this episode through a lens of, of Leon being uh, Elliot or another persona of Elliot. Um, and then kind of looking at the interactions between Darlene and Dom and Leon through that lens. It's a bit interesting. Yeah, I could see that being the case because it's come up a few times previously where Elliot and Leon seem to have parallel courses in in a narrative. Leon, in and of himself as a character, is so casually psychopathic and capitalistic at the same time. Such an embodiment of 21st century sort of vibe. So he's super casual when he sees Dom. He's like, oh, hey. And I guess he's watching Land Before Time. Dom is terrified you know, and, or scared because she's like, the last time I saw you, you were murdering people. And he's like, oh yeah, that was me. And you know, I'm here to help Elliot and his sis. So yeah, like when he said that, It does seem like Leon just shows up at all the right times recently. Leon says, you got to keep an open mind. And then he starts going on about his love of Three Days of the Condor. It's a 1970s paranoia flick, but it's something that really reaches him. I don't interest myself in the why, sometimes when or where, but always how much. And then, of course, he talks about his big conundrum, Leon, this multi-murderer is like, my net profits have gone up. Should I be an S-Corp or an LLC? I need to incorporate. And I think that's so 21st century. You know what's even more 21st century is I had an answer for him. (laughs) When I heard that question, I was like, it depends on whether you're going to take investment. (laughs) And then I I realized I was being much too nerdy. So I guess in that sense, he should be an S-corp because I can't see Leon just bootstrapping it. <laughs> yeah, if, he, if he's looking for like the Jay-Z sort of path to uh, hustle, uh, Hustler uh, Hall of Fame, then yeah, he probably wants an S-corp. <laughs> we all aspire to be Jay-Z now. I accidentally saw Jay-Z and Beyonce in concert uh, about a year ago. I was walking through San Francisco and I heard this noise. I was walking down the Embarcadero And I heard this, like, music, and you know how when you walk past the stadium there, 
if you go around like towards the water, there's like the gates where you can kind of look inside. And I got to see like one half of a Jay-Z and Beyonce concert. And as much as I like Beyonce, I was, I was there for Jay-Z. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. I think Leon is just, he's, um, he's a pretty fascinating character. I think Joey Badass in general is, is a generally charismatic kind of person. I looked on his Twitter today and he was tweeting about, hey, we need to do a spinoff that features Leon. <laughs> and I could actually kind of see it happening. He's, he's pretty interesting. The way he shifts his alliances, like, I shouldn't like that character. I should despise him. He's, he's a cold-hearted killer. He does it with a smile, and he has all these philosophical kind of rants that he goes on. And he does that later on when he talks about Kurt Vonnegut. But anyway, Dom, Darlene, and Leon are in the car. Leon is listening to Hall and & Oates. And I just want to say, in terms of a zeitgeist, for the last podcast episode that I did where White Rose was brought down, I took a snippet of a Hall & Oates song, Not Enough to Get Us Sued, at the very beginning, and I played it. You're a rich girl. <laughs> You're a rich girl, and you've gone too far. So I was like, I'm in tune with Sam Esmail because... They're listening to a Hall & Oates song called Wait For Me. They're driving to Boston, but on the back roads. Another person tells Dom to get some rest. And Dom's like, oh, it's pretty here. And he's like, Leon's like, we're taking the scenic route. Connecticut is swimming with Dark Army, which it's kind of probably true. And it's swimming, it's swarming with RWAs, rich white assholes. <laughs> no offense, Connecticut, but you're full of RWAs. RWAs. But then at one point, he references Kurt Vonnegut's Breakfast of Champions. I gotta, I gotta steal me a mirror. And Dom discovers her new name is Jackie. And then Leon's like, you think my real name is Leon? And I'm like, oh my god. So there's this whole other backstory to Leon we don't even know. Maybe it's Elliot. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Maybe it is. He's a man of mystery. And, you know, to me, contrast Leon and his character with Vera. Right, Vera kind of liked to go on these long rants about stuff, but I find Leon's rants so much more interesting to listen to and a lot smarter than Vera's like meth head BS. Yeah, like Vera is the guy in class who thinks everything he says is really profound and it's generally not. And then Leon is the guy who doesn't really care about class or showing off, but his brain is just going so fast and has so many references that he is profound, even when he's kind of shooting the breeze. That's a good comparison. Then we see Dom in the bathroom rehearsing her new identity. Jackie is a pastry chef, and she loves hollow notes, and she loves Nutella. I'm thinking to myself, I don't know of any pastry chef who would really love Nutella. Did you hear about the, the controversy because uh, Nutella is actually made with Turkish hazelnuts and the problem that this caused for a far-right Italian politician who loved to tweet about his love for Nutella? No, you hear what's about this? that? So there's this far-right uh, Italian politician who regularly tweets about how much he loves Nutella and like starting the day with Nutella and he'll post a slice picture of uh, his slice of Nutella. But he's also a very far-right anti-immigrant. And a lot of the immigrants in Italy, I guess, are, are Turkish. Um, and so recently it was discovered that 
a lot of the hazelnuts and Nutella are actually from Turkey, which is one of the largest hazelnut producing countries in the world. And so it created quite a moment of angst for this guy as to like whether or not it's like it's like a racist white guy finding out that the woman that he loves is actually part black. You know, it's like this moment of crisis of like, well, do I love this thing or not? Like, do I continue to love this thing? And then in the end, you know, like most most human beings, he's like, I still love this anyway. <laughs> Nutella, please try to make more Italian hazelnuts in your Nutella. That's the ridiculous world we live in. It's such a sign of the world we live in right now. I know we're both talking about this episode, but in the background, there are the impeachment hearings happening. The UK just had their election where the Tories won in a landslide. So that's five more years of Boris Johnson. Where's F society when you need them? (laughs) This is another scene I thought was pretty beautiful where we're still at the rest stop because Leon needs to steal himself a mirror or go to the bathroom and Dom and Darlene have some time to hang out in the rest area and Darlene even makes a joke like oh Leon was he was going on and on I took that as my cue to sort of take a break they were looking at all the people at the rest stop who were on their way home for the holidays I don't know if you've ever been in this situation before I'm sure you have where You've been either up all night or you've been doing something sort of not in the regular rhythm of most nine to five society or most of society. And you kind of feel like you're an outsider watching people having a normal life. You sort of fall out of the the kind of majority routine of the people around you. You kind of get a different perspective on life. You know, if everyone around you is working nine to five and you're working the graveyard shift, all of a sudden you're it's like counter programming right like you're living a life that like the minority of people are living as opposed to the majority and you get to see things from a very different perspective yeah the two times i remember feeling this the most well th- three times like one is when you stay out all night you're out with friends you stay out all night and you're sort of coming home as people are going to work I remember things like that I remember a long time ago I went on tour with a band you're in a different city every other day and you're completely out of the rhythm you just live in cars and buses and airplanes and I remember feeling that pretty strongly as well but as Dom and Darlene are sitting on the bench Darlene's like watch this and Darlene starts doing her magic on her cell phone because she's nimble and doesn't mistype a single thing. And you see all these numbers running up the screen. And Dom is just like, what's going on? What did you just do? Darlene's like, just wait, just watch. And then one by one is you see people, their phones are beeping or vibrating and they pull out their phones. So that's a sign of how we're just all sort of interconnected, right? But it's basically the grand redistribution of money. Because the whole currency was an e-coin, it's impossible to reverse the transaction. Dom's horrified. This is stealing. This isn't what justice is supposed to look like. And Darlene's like, they banked on us to trust the system and they pretty much screwed us. What did you think of all of that dynamic as it unfolded? I mean, the the contrast of what they did and the actual reality of what happened. You know, in reality, like there's this woman tap, moving her fingers over a glass screen uh, on a plastic device. And then in reality, you know, people actually having their financial futures changed. I mean, it's kind of indicative of the weird reality li- we live in where 
things that are virtual often have more kind of real world impact than physical objects. Yeah, and I was really wondering if if e-coin was the currency that all of these people were suddenly flushed with cash. My next move, if I'm the 1% of the 1%, would be to make e-coin an illeg- illegitimate currency and switch back to the regular, so-called regular currencies. Yeah, I, given all the backup reserves that a lot of the wealthy people have with like gold and other things, like why wouldn't they just declare gold to be the standard since they hold a lot of gold? And governments as well, right? Um, one thing that it kind of reminded me of is like the universal basic income proposals that you are hearing about these days where, you know, you it's a form of kind of wealth redistribution or a certain minimum security of money. But the thing that I often think about when people talk about universal basic income is when people talk about universal basic income, they often assume the recipients look a certain way or are in some sort of economic situation. But if you think about all the like trolls, the Twitter trolls, like those people get universal basic income too, right? Like the people that are driving you nuts on Twitter, like these people are gonna get universal basic income. All the people who voted for the Tories, they're gonna get universal basic income. All the people who sit around all day watching Fox News, they're gonna get universal basic income. Is it gonna make anything better? I'm not sure. I have mixed feelings about universal basic income as well. I, it can, especially if we start introducing things like a social credit system, is that tied to your universal basic income? What other strings will be attached to that? On the other hand, maybe there's a more utopian view of universal basic income where it will free people up to do more. When I saw the scene where Darlene redistributed the wealth, I was like, this is temporary. It's not going to last. There will be some way that people don't get to keep this wealth. It won't be redistributed forever. It will go back to the 1% of the 1%. Darlene and Dom are outside of Boston. Logan, Leon gets them there safely. Leon says to Darlene, did you keep any of it? And she's mom. She won't say either way. Leon's like, covert. That's cool. He, he likes Darlene, at least for now. I love this line. You should join me for some adventures and whatnot. A high like this doesn't come so easy with the normies. And I think that's a real insightful statement, once again, from Leon about once you live that lifestyle, just like in that movie Goodfellas, you know, where... Henry Hill, when he finally was under witness protection, that was the worst punishment ever because it was just so boring. Darlene's like, let me think about it. And I think she really will. Yeah, it, it's it, once you know how the sausage is made, it's hard to go back to just, you know, sitting on the other side of the counter chewing on sausages, right? I had a little sense of that once. I, If you've ever met people who have some degree of fame, independence that where they don't have to have a job. And I've been around people a few times in my life who have that. Once you taste that life and freedom, I remember having a friend who was in a band that had some hit music. They were sort of on that celebrity trajectory. It was envious of their freedom. I remember her saying one time when I was really poor, I couldn't get anything. But now that I'm sort of well known, you can't believe all the things people want to give you for free and all the access and all the privilege. And even if I can afford it, it doesn't matter. People just want to give it to me anyway. Hmm, that's really interesting. You know, for me, my encounters with wealthy or powerful people 
have been good in that they've made me not want to have their life because I see how miserable and unhappy they are. And so it strikes me as like a very poor bargain. So, you know, for me, I, I, I feel very... Uh, I feel very appreciative of the fact that I've met so many miserable, powerful, and rich people. There is this phenomenon in Silicon Valley, and I'm sure you've heard of this too, where a lot of times these folks even live in fear for their personal safety. So I was working at some big tech company early on in my career. This CEO lived in Atherton, for our listeners, one of the wealthiest parts of California, at least. And people broke into his house and, and tied him up and his, his family and held them at ransom and robbed them. And I know something similar happened to a, a, a few other CEOs. So it's not all it's cracked up to be for sure. Yeah, once you have a lot, then you become a target for people who have what you want. Uh, and then you have to start dealing with, you know, these it, it, to me, it strikes me as interesting that like once you get to a certain level of wealth, you inherit like all the problems that all wealthy people have. Like in terms of if you have fifty million dollars as opposed to a hundred million or a billion dollars, you largely have the same pool of problems in terms of grifters and security risks and all these other things. But you know, with fifty million dollars, you don't have the resources that a billionaire has in terms of private security and armored cars and other things, right? So you end up with people who are like moderately wealthy in terms of, you know, having somewhere under $100 million of wealth, but they're kind of insecure because they're a bit exposed compared to a lot of other wealthy people because they don't have quite enough money to completely divorce the rest of society from their lives. A couple of years ago, I very briefly met Elon Musk at a pretty small event at a Palo Alto movie theater. I think he was there by himself, but it was like a bunch of people, you know, knew each other in the in the audience. We were there to see a screening. I started talking to him. I mean, he wasn't so captivated with everything I had to say. I don't mean to make it like that. But I didn't get to talk to him for very long because it was like a wave of people just came up and just flanked him just to try to get in his in his aura and around him and in his space and I'm not one who tries to kind of be like that I don't feel like I can compete very well with that energy I think it's a little bit gross it it felt like the vultures were coming to prey not that he's a defenseless person in and of himself it was like an immediate wave of people like they spotted him and they just flocked to him I it comes with some downsides for sure. You know, this kind of bubble of like attraction field that you have. I know one famous tech investor who, you know, would often headline these tech conferences would tell me that what it did was create like a nerd bubble around him that he found kind of annoying because that nerd bubble kept the hot girls too far away. I won't say who this tech investor is. Well, you know, it's funny. In the case of Elon Musk, I didn't put this detail in, but now that you mention that, most of the people who flocked around him were women. <laughs> oh, was he looking for a new girlfriend? And it was pretty shocking. It was like, boom, flies on honey, I guess. So Dom and Darlene are inside of a Boston Logan airport. Darlene is doing her thing at, I think, a computer store, I, I think. And Dom is in Hudson News Bookstore, which we know 
is in every airport. There was even more Hudson News in Brazil when I was there. And what's being sold as the for the on the bookshelves? But Irving's book Beach Towel, Dom is transfixed, and then she turns around and it's Irving and. He's like, Dom, how the hell are you? Get my book. It's a real page turner. You must buy it. And it was so creepy. That guy is so creepy. I was totally surprised to see Irving. How about you? I thought it was a great scene. And, you know, Dom's just kind of sheer terror at seeing him and not knowing quite what to expect was pretty amusing. It reminds me of kind of an exaggerated version of what you feel like when you run into someone that you don't want to run into, like at a conference or something where you're kind of on your way to something or doing something. And like the last person you want to run into is the person in front of you. And you're just like, oh, God, uh, don't say anything offensive. Like, be polite. You know, it's like, be polite. Don't be offensive. Engage. Engage. You know, you want to stay on their good side, but you can't just you can barely fight the urge just to run, go screaming in the other direction. Yeah, and it's not in this case because Beach Towel, the book, is so bad. It's because Irving's so bad, but he's even threatening her here, kind of, because he's like, she still needs to pay for that book. He's forcing her to buy a book. But he tells her that the Dark Army doesn't care about her and Darlene anymore. He said, you know, your handler was a pain in the ass. They don't care about you two no more. Dominique's like, where did the Dark Army go? We don't have to run anymore. Do you believe that to be true? Is it just that they've just moved on? What's the deal? Yeah, it's kind of interesting how much of a paper tiger the Dark Army seems to have become. You know, before uh, the Deus Group hack, the Dark Army seemed like they were everywhere. You know, they penetrate the FBI and, you know, all these other powerful institutions and they had the ability to put people outside your home and murder your family. And then all of a sudden with the Deus Group hack and the uh, exposure of White Rose, they just disappear. Poof, they're gone. Uh, and they're not even taking retribution against the people that, uh, you know, hurt them which seems like a very undark army-like thing to do. So, you know, the question is, is that because of focus on bigger and better things that Darlene and Dom don't really matter to them anymore because they're doing something that matters a whole lot more? That's what I think. I mean, they're doing something that matters a whole lot more. Maybe it's scrambling to reassemble the trillions of units, dollars, e-coin, Bitcoin, whatever it is that they've lost... I fundamentally can't imagine they would just give up on them, but but maybe they're just so so minuscule in the grand scheme of things. Even though Darlene like really messed them up, I don't know. And then we get into the star-crossed lovers final sequence of events where we discover that Darlene wants to go to Budapest with Dominique and she wanted to go with Elliot because Darlene's ex Cisco always talked about going there. Don't go back to the grind like everyone else. Don't be a normie. So that theme is running throughout. And boy, do I know that impetus to just want to break free. I have a pretty strong desire for freedom, like a lot of people, I guess. And then there's a lot of back and forth about going, not going. And then we see this whole sequence of events where Dom says she can't go. Darlene starts to board the plane, but then has a panic attack, runs in the bathroom. That panic attack was so tragic to see. And then Darlene pulls herself together enough that she realizes that she's enough. Poor Darlene, like she's just got no support system around her. It's I find it tragic. Dom, on the other hand, turns around 
around, goes back on the plane. Darlene stays in Boston, and Dom is on her way to Budapest. Oh, it's like so close and yet so far, right? It's interesting uh, that they kind of did this because uh, Japanese, like old Japanese books, this is often a common plot device. Like old Japanese books, you know, like written before 1800, for instance, are just like, it's like 700 pages of people just missing each other, barely. (laughs) And at the time, like, you know, people had to travel on the roads and it's just like these novels filled with characters just barely missing each other at like various cities and inns and towns and like 30 years of their life just spent barely missing each other so it it made me laugh to kind of see this also here yeah it it's that's an interesting reference uh i i really appreciate all the references you're like leon you bring all these really great references in Uh, i i'm channeling the master for this episode i thought Again, this didn't go the way I thought it was going to go. The the ending you would have expected is Darlene and Dom are on a flight together to Budapest. Although, have you ever been to Budapest? I haven't. Um, I'm kicking around whether I will go in the next like six months. So there's like a, an opportunity where I, I might be going. And I'm kind of debating the pros and cons of that. Have you? I have been to Budapest, and I thought it was a beautiful city, but I have a friend who, up until recently, was living there. I would have put you in touch with her. She had to relocate to Vienna. She's she's from the UK, and the reason that happened is she was working for a university in Budapest that was that is owned by or founded by George Soros. There was so many threats sent to the office and anti-Semitic threats. And then eventually the government kicked the university out of the city and they had to relocate to Vienna. The whole world is on fire right now. Of all places you could go, Budapest is sort of, I mean, it's pretty dope, but there are doper places. But if you can go, I would definitely visit for sure. I think... There are certain people who are attracted to places that feel a little bit wild, you know, and then there, there's like certain places that are so wild that it seems like you have to be a little bit death seeking to go there, right? Like Afghanistan or Iraq or some of the conflict zones in Africa. And then there are places that seem kind of wild, but, you know, in a, in a kind of a, a romantic, a little bit dangerous sort of way. And I think Budapest kind of falls into that bucket. Yeah, when I was there, and it was a long time ago, I don't even want to say how long, I was walking down the street with my friends, we were just having a grand old time, and then we got stopped by the police to show them our passports and our visas, and they were they were pretty nice and friendly. It was like they were on us, and then my friend, fast forward to 2019, my friend posted on Facebook that she was walking through and she had the same thing happen, where she just got stopped in the street and had to show her passport papers papers please yeah like as the world increasingly becomes interconnected the good stuff in any part of the world is largely the same right like if it's like a four season sort of experience whether in new york or hong kong or Nairobi, like it's going to be relatively comparable i think where things are increasingly different is the range or the variance in experiences that you encounter against your will in a particular place right so it's like um you know certain wealthier countries that have a better civil society and more uh, safety like your range of experiences is going to be fairly narrow in a good way 
Um, maybe also in a little bit bad in that you don't get as much uh, excitement. But then places like America, where it's possible that someone might show up at a public place with a firearm and decide to kill everyone. You know, like that's a random variable event that seems pretty shocking to encounter. Shocking to encounter. Well, that's the whole episode. Did you have anything else that you wanted to say about uh, episode 10 of season four? Or did you have any predictions about where things are heading? Now we got three more episodes, right? And, uh, uh, you know, 411, uh, error code 411 is length required. Is sent by the server as a response when it refuses to accept a message without a content header for whatever reason. That's from Stack Overflow. So, you know, thinking about this, it's like, you know, what's something's going to happen where someone's going to anticipate something to happen and it's not going to happen or there's something missing. Uh, and given that Elliot is looking for information about the device and, you know, White Rose's machine and Washington Township, it seems like he's going to be following a trail that is going to run cold at some point and he's going to be uh, missing something. And maybe that missing something is going to be Darlene. I keep thinking she's going to disappear. Oh, gosh, I hope not. It's such a tragic character arc if that happens. I can see that happening. She's so vulnerable. I mean, she takes care of everybody else, but who's there to take care of Darlene? Like, nobody. And she has the weight of the world on her, literally. She's responsible for this huge doxing, and I just can't believe she's not in danger. I think either Darlene or Elliot are going to be in peril, and Darlene might go the way of Angela. There were some predictions that Angela might reappear in some fashion, sort of the way Tyrell did, like on a video screen. I'm grateful that we've had this chance to talk about the show like this. Did you have any what would you rathers for this week? Yeah, I do. What would you rather an ending where everything endings where everything is wrapped up nice and neat at the end, like stories that kind of come to a complete conclusion or stories that kind of leave things unsaid and leave you kind of to wonder. Like not just with Mr. Robot, but in general, which ones do you prefer? <laughs> I'm going to give the uncool Leon would totally disapprove of my answer. I want everything to be wrapped up. I want everything to be spelled out for me. I, I've done enough thinking all these years, uh, and in the case of Mr. Robot, so I like them wrapped up. How about you? I, I would also say the same thing. I would like them wrapped up. I think that's part of the art of a good story. Like I think oftentimes people think okay good story is excitement it generates like how attached are you to it how hooked do you get and you know and oftentimes people excuse a lack of complete resolution by saying that somehow it's deep or it kind of leaves you thinking but i think oftentimes it kind of overlooks the fact that there's a lot of skill in kind of weaving things together and telling a story in such a way where everything lands and lands in in a very satisfying way I feel that way for sure. Okay, my what would you rather is super random. I just thought of it now. I was having a hard time thinking of one earlier. So my new office has kombucha on tap (laughs) and it has cold brew on tap. So what would you rather, kombucha or cold brew? Kombucha. I think I would have, uh, I've realized caffeine and coffee, if I drink too much of it, definitely makes me uh, a little bit anxious. Uh, and it also erodes my patience. 
so I think if I started drinking cold brew on tap in any sort of meaningful way, I'd be soon let go from my employment. <laughs> <laughs> I know, really. It's like, that's hardcore cold brew on tap. I'm with you. I'm all into the kombucha. I love it. I love that it's on tap. I think it's it's fun to drink. I have a friend who makes kombucha cocktails, which of course you can't have uh, at work necessarily. So we are once again in agreement. What do you think of that? <laughs> well, uh, on the kombucha note, it's interesting because I've had both like regular kombucha that's kind of sold in a bottle at a convenience store sort of kombucha and kombucha sold in bars that are like, you know, six, seven, eight percent alcohol kombucha. And, you know, this is interesting to me because I've stopped drinking beer. Um, so I, I became interested in other fizzy things that can get me sort of tipsy. And th the funny thing is when I ask, when I run into other situations where kombucha is on tap, like at an ice cream shop, for instance, uh, like a, and I say, is the kombucha alcoholic? They look at me like I've asked the most ridiculous question on earth. And, you know, I, I just, you know, I feel like somewhat defensive because I want to say it's a very reasonable question to ask um, if the kombucha is alcoholic. I guess all kombucha is somewhat alcoholic, even like minimally. But I don't think it's an unfair question to ask, like, is it going to get me drunk kombucha or is it not? That's funny. I didn't even know that. But now I'm going to really dose up on the kombucha at work to just try to raise that content. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> I'm grateful to have had the opportunity to speak with you about Mr. Robot once again, Henry. Thanks to our listeners. It's really great to have you on board. We just got, I didn't mention this to you, but uh, somebody wrote me on Facebook. I'll send it to you. And he said it really helped him appreciate the show, uh, the podcast. And there are definitely people on Twitter who interact every now and then with me, and I appreciate that and, get, and getting the feedback as well. So thank you, Henry, and thanks to the listeners, and I look forward to speaking with you soon. Yeah, likewise, Margaret, and thank you to all the listeners also. All right, talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.